Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. The show notes are included in the summary for each episode. Notes can be accessed from the Mobile Marketing Podcast link at the top and bottom of the dominoresearch.com website. If you like the podcast, please take a moment to help us out. Rate and review us on your preferred medium. We are currently available on iTunes, Google Play Podcast, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Thank you. Hey there, and welcome to the latest episode of Mobile Wallet Marketing Made Easy, the podcast that helps you navigate the ever-changing landscape of mobile marketing. As restaurants are deemed an essential service in most areas, keeping the doors open means curbside pickup or offering delivery. Delivery apps are now all the rage as people order in taking a break from their home-cooked meals, yet restaurants are raging at the gouging rates that are making making them stop using it and altogether. So today we're going to talk about this and how the two are not synced up as much as they should be. Hi, I'm Hazel Fruitman. And I'm Kim Stewart. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We are super glad that you have taken time out of your busy or not busy schedule to actually listen to a podcast. We totally appreciate that. Um, Our topic today is restaurants and delivery services. This is becoming kind of a hot button issue, both for restaurant owners and for consumers, as the cost of going to eat in a restaurant, strangely enough, (laughs) has actually become considerably lower compared to what it costs to actually get restaurant food delivered. Yes, that's right. It's a lot lower. Uh, As delivery apps average a cost of 20 to 30%. That's right. You heard that correctly. That's nuts. It's nuts. Restaurants in general have thin margins by increasing the cost of the menu item to compensate the delivery fee, the commission. These delivery apps are raking it in and it's causing tension throughout the restaurant industry. Uh, you know, and it's at a time when restaurants have pivot to use them more. And at first you would think that they would be in sync, they would be in harmony, but that doesn't seem to be the case throughout the industry. Right. I mean, so many restaurants right now can barely, barely, barely get by. Um, it's crazy. You know, restaurants that didn't do a significant amount of takeout business or delivery business in the past who are trying to maintain some semblance of an actual business by switching over pivoting as you said to this model you know not only are they having to deal with the supply chain issues you know they've got bills to pay they have rent they have power bills they have all these things that have to be paid employees that have to be paid and you know when they're trying to deal with all these delivery apps that are taking such a high cut of the total bill you know it's really when you look at it no wonder that they are more likely to be butting heads than to be in sync. And, you know, we're all trying to pivot during this pandemic. Right. Um, I do, though, actually, because, uh, okay, so before we start talking about the delivery apps that are out there right now, let's just take a couple minutes and roll straight into the once over for how our platform works. And the reason I think we should do that, we're going to be talking a bit about it later in the episode. 
So I want to make sure that we have everybody set up for understanding what we do versus what a delivery app does. I mean, they're two totally different things. And while they're certainly not mutually exclusive, a restaurateur would rely on our platform in a very, very different way than they would if they are hooking up their accounts with a DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever. So I'm going to hand this one off to you, and if, you, if you're willing, and you can give us the rundown. Mobile wallet campaigns are incredibly effective marketing collateral when you set them up correctly and implement them in a way that increases engagement with customers, prospects, referrals, and so on. In a nutshell, a mobile wallet campaign consists of a mobile wallet pass that's added to individual phones. iPhones use Apple Wallet, which is native iOS application and Android phones use any of a number of third-party apps to achieve the same goals. The pass has two sides, the front and the back. The front of the pass is like a digital calling card. It normally has the name of your product or business, perhaps a tagline or logo, and should be styled to complement your existing logo and collateral. We can include a QR code and a barcode on the front of the pass if you're interested in tracking users via the passes, although the tracking default does not contain any personal information unless we have created a customized solution for you. The front of the pass should be designed to get someone's attention, colorful maybe, or with a unique tagline or similar. It requires a very simple, clean design since most phone screens are not that big. The back of the pass is where the magic happens, as I like to call it. And this is the area of the pass where you're really going to be able to get your message out there and include some very efficient calls to action that result in quantifiable results. The structure of the mobile wallet pass means that everything on the back that is formatted in a way that the phone recognizes, like a phone number, an address, a URL, a link to iTunes or YouTube and so on. Those apps are actually launched when the user taps a link on the back of the pass. What that means in real terms is that if you're promoting your podcast, you can send your subscribers a lock screen notification and they have the ability to tap the back links and your podcast will start playing in the correct app, iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher or whatever. It also means that if you're a realtor, for instance, and you include the address of a property you're promoting, a prospective buyer can tap the address on the back of the pass, launch maps, complete with driving directions. Tap to call, tap to email, tap to launch social media apps like Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and others. These are simply handled by the wallet app and there's no coding or formatting involved. It really couldn't be any easier. Passes can be shared through a variety of means. The most popular method is including the pass URL as a link or in a print ad as a type in request using a browser. Other ways include the share function on the pass, having someone open Apple Wallet or scan the QR code directly, or even sending the pass via iMessages or email from the phone. Last but not least, the passes include location and proximity targeting features, which means that using the geofencing and location awareness that's built into smartphone offers, you have the ability to send lock screen notifications based on where someone is, 
as well as sending them time-based or what we like to call static messages. You've probably seen this at the airport if you're having a boarding pass in your Apple wallet on iPhone, for instance. When you get close to the security screening checkpoint, the boarding pass automatically pops up on your lock screen and you don't have to search for it or open the app or unlock the phone to see it. So there you have it, the two minute rundown on just what and how a mobile pass works, where it goes in the iPhone and what it can do. All right, awesome, cool. Now let's get on with it. Okay. So uh, what we're talking about, we should actually go through the uh, delivery apps list um, and see what's out there. I know in Canada, it's a little different than in the US. Uh, we have DoorDash, Foodora, Skip the Dishes, and Uber Eats. Um, you know, Foodora went bankrupt. In fact, they're closing their doors May 11th in Canada. Um, and it's, it's because they tried to unionize the workers. They're actually a German-based company, and that's really the reason why they're closing up even though they say it's bankruptcy. So why were they trying to unionize the workers? No, the workers were trying to unionize each other and the head, the head, you know, the company did not want that. So they are just, that's it. They are oh, so the Foodora workers were trying to unionize. I actually thought that you meant that the Foodora workers were trying to get the Canadian restaurant workers to unionize. Oh. Well, I just totally oh. screwed that. Sorry. Yeah. Uh -huh. Sorry if that wasn't clear. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, the same reason why, Inst was it Instacart in the U.S.? Same reason why they were, they were trying to unionize and they had a strike. But anyway, um, yeah, and then we have Skip the Dishes, which is Canadian. I don't think you have that. No, I don't think you do. And another one is DoorDash, which um, they're actually using this pandemic as a good foothold to break into the delivery, delivery service up in Canada. Do you have Grubhub? No, we don't. So we have Grubhub as well. Okay. Okay. And you know, these Uber Eats charges, you know, the most commission at 30%. And if you have to, ha you know, if you have multiple locations, you know, you'll get a discount rate for that, which is more like 22 to 25%. Okay. I have a question though. Yeah. How is that commission charged? Is that commission charged to the consumer or is that commission charged to the restaurant? Who, who's paying that bill? Yeah. To the merchant. So to the restaurant. So, well, yeah, we'll get down there how that, so like how, how it breaks down is if a dish costs, let's say $10, a restaurant can add up, um, can put it on the, on the app for, let's say $13. So that's how they make up for the 30%. Plus there's the delivery fee that the consumer charges gets charged. So a dish that costs $10 at a restaurant could be $18 when it's delivered to your door. So, which is a huge difference. And now that, you know, people are holding on to their wallets tighter than ever, it, you know, you can see the difference. Okay. So let me just make sure I understand this. If you're ordering something that would normally be $10, if you went to the restaurant, the restaurant's got to pay a 30% commission or 25, whatever. Right. So the restaurant is now charging $13. And then the delivery service is charging the consumer an additional delivery charge on top of the additional money that the restaurant owner had to put on to try to recoup some of their cost. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. That's, that's huge. I mean, and so these apps, 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and venture to say that they're probably not responsible for any sort of customer service other than did you bring the food or did you not bring the food? Um, So if the food order is incorrect, then what happens? So the food quality, so then it's on the restaurant's shoulders. So the restaurants have all these margins that they already are having trouble with, plus these additional expenses. Right. Now, like I've seen, you know, crazy things where people are like, oh, I'm sure my driver ate my chicken tenders or, oh, I'm sure my driver stole my French fries because the restaurant says, no, no, it was all in the bag. And then the driver brings what the driver brings. And, you know, short of sealing these bags up the way that they do duty free stuff at the airport. Who is to say and how are you going to know? I mean, of course, restaurant owners are feeling steamrolled by all this. Yes, they are. (laughs) Yeah, and not to mention that these apps don't actually stop the spread of this virus. Because instead of staying localized to your community, you're actually stretching out the delivery. So drivers could be located anywhere in the city and go to the restaurant, then go out back into the community, but you don't know how far out. We don't know how many neighborhoods over they're going, right? If okay. You're, if you're in the community, you have your own, your, your own delivery service that you're responsible for, you know exactly that you're gonna stay in that community. Plus, you know, those, those, there's the commission rates that they're taking. Um, you know, it makes it impossible for the industry to survive, even at the best of times. And when asked, these apps are not willing to budge their rates. An Uber Eats spokesman stated the company is unlikely to reduce commission charges. So what are owners doing? Well, they're petitioning and it's being echoed throughout the industry uh, that delivery apps, really the only way they're going to help these restaurants and cafes to survive is to drastically slash their very healthy commission. And, you know, a good suggestion of what a healthy commission is is about at least 50% is more of an appropriate level. So there's like a few cases here I'd like to go through with you. Um, there's a, one bakery in Toronto, they own two outlets. In one day they lost $6,000 from Uber Eats because the, that happened? the app went out for two days, created outages and store closures without even notifying the restaurants. So Uber's lack of communication with this bakery per se and their unwillingness to collaborate made the bakery feel disrespected. Um, So they actually, they cut all ties with that app and they've gone with a different one. One that's cut their commission and one that actually offers gratuities that they can keep, Um, which is also a little minor thing now with with these delivery apps is who gets the gratuity, which we're not going to go into right now. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, you were saying before, uh, you know, how much business do these apps really have? Well, in pre pandemic times, you know, most restaurants use these apps to create about 10% of business business. And now most businesses are going through them at 70% of their business. So let me see if I got this straight. So businesses are doing less sales overall. Yes. And more of their sales that are less overall are now costing them way more money 
to do. That's right. That's right. So a competitor app, let's say from Uber Eats, who's not cutting the rates, they're like we have DoorDash is trying to have a foothold here. So they're, they've cut their commission rates to get the business. But we'll still see what's going on with them. So another case that's going on um, is an ice cream parlor. Now for them to survive, they're charging $15 for a half liter. Yeah, you, yes, I see those eyebrows. <laughs> but there's a $30 minimum. So what, you're, what I'm saying is one liter of ice cream, which is what, four gallons? No, one liter of ice cream is like half of a two liter bottle of soda. It's a little bit more than a quart. Okay. More that would mean that the ice cream was like $55 a gallon Canadian, which would be like $40, dollars 35 to $40 US for a gallon of ice cream. There you go. Oh, did it's I nuts. And how does it even get there cold? Did I mention the $5 delivery fee? <laughs> but how does it even get there cold if it's ice cream? I mean, do they have like dry ice? Do they have a freezer? I mean, what the hell? I'm not, I'm not ordering it. I mean, I love this ice cream parlor. It's very yummy ice cream, high quality. But, you know, for those on a budget, they can't really afford $35 for a liter of ice cream. So. Oh, my God. It's not even like let them eat cake. It's like let them eat ice cream. Then there's another bakery who has a minimum of $50 order. Now, when was the last time you went to the bakery to get bread and some bagels and that cost you $50? It doesn't. Okay, well, you know what? Okay, I can understand that one. And what I would think of right there is, you know, like, okay, in your neighborhood, I know that you, since you have a child and your child has friends, that you guys, you are more friendly with your neighbors so I could totally see you guys getting up a text chain and being like, hey, let's, let's get a bakery order together here and three or four of you yeah. saying, okay, I would like a dozen bagels. I would like two loaves of bread. I would like this. I would like that. And splitting an order. I could see where that could be in a bakery situation, an actual workable case. Um, although... That, that's like one case. I mean, and you guys would have to be like, okay, so every third day we're going to do a bakery order, but then somebody would be like, well, why am I doing this? I could just go to the grocery store. I could just go to Costco. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like, how many times do you, do you want to go out into the world? Do you, how do you want to be delivered? You have to count your pennies now, right? So Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's another case I found. A restaurant owner, he's pivoted his business so he has very minimal um, menu restrictions. So he can also double as a delivery service for beer and wine, because that's how he's making his money. I now, don't doubt it. Hmm? I don't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, unlike, I mean, you're, you're in the US, you have you're very, you know, liquor sales, liquor delivery is very common. In Ontario, it's actually, it, we didn't have that at all. And the government is allowing it due to the pandemic. Well, okay. So, but here's the thing about it. Like the United States is in some ways just a giant version of the Canadian provinces. So in some states, if you want to buy beer and wine, you can buy it at the grocery store. But if you want to buy liquor, then you have to go to the state run version of the LCBO. Right. 
So in some states, you can only buy hard liquor in certain stores and at certain days and times, like some of them, especially in the South or in more conservative areas where they have state run liquor stores, they're not open on Sunday. So you can go to the grocery store and buy beer and wine, but you can't buy liquor on Sunday, this, that, and the other. And so there are all kinds of crazy things happening. Like I lived in Dallas twice, like many, many years ago. And there was this place called Taco Cabana, which is still there. I assume it's still there. But anyway, you could for the longest time buy margaritas in the drive-thru. And you would get your drive-through takeout margarita. But that was like such an odd place because it was the only place that I knew of really other than places in New Orleans, which weren't really much driving. It was always like walk up on Bourbon Street, get a hurricane, walk around with your hurricane. Um, A lot of like beaches, as long as it's not in a glass or not in, you know, it's in plastic or it's hidden or whatever, then some of those were okay with it. But the the whole idea of getting alcohol delivered in most American states is kind of a new idea. And I don't know that it's going to last so much after this, but I mean, you know, like in California, okay. Wine delivery has always been a thing, but California is a state that thrives on wine. So of course people are going to deliver. I mean, there are companies like golden state delivery service. All they do is deliver wine from the wineries to people's residences or to people's businesses. They do like all the wine club deliveries. That's who everybody uses. Like the wine club, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so it it isn't necessarily as widespread as you would think. But then again, I think the only place in America that you've lived is San Francisco, and then you spend a lot of time in Florida, so you don't have a huge amount of stuff to gauge against. Right, right. Um, you know, even here, wine and beer in the grocery stores is a very new thing that's still being tested out. It's very limited. Um, you know, getting delivery from liquor from a restaurant during this pandemic is so new for us. That's so crazy, though. I mean, you have state-run weed stores. I mean, you know, you can buy your cannabis online via a provincial weed store. Yes. Awesome. We don't have that. <laughs> awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even like Tim Hortons, which is the um, Starbucks before there was Starbucks. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a place to have coffee, pastries, items. Burger King of Canada. You know, yes. Where you can buy like coffee and a muffin for a toonie. Yeah. Which is $2 for normal people. Um, yeah, they have a $15 minimum, but they'll give you 10 Timbits. Oh my God. I think the autocorrect right there on your notes just went crazy and didn't understand what Timbits is. You're right. It said Timbits instead of Timbits. I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh yeah, I see your notes. Um, So yeah, you know what? Basically, restaurants are getting the living shit kicked out of them right now. And it's only getting worse. It's not just in the US and Canada. Like, I have some friends that I've known for probably 15 years that own a really fancy restaurant in a place called Byron Bay, which is the sort of upscale resort area north of Sydney, Australia. It's on the Gold Coast there. They've been closed for about six weeks. And quite frankly, if they did not have family money behind them, they would not be able to open their restaurant back up. 
I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I don't know what your government's doing to back the, you know, uh, commercial rents or not. We have a program here. I don't know if you do or not, but. Uh, um, I thought your guys' program, are we talking about that later on in this? We're not, are we? No, oh, we should we, talk about it. We can talk about it. It's, it's a brand new program. Um, you know, pay, if you pay down 25% of your rent, then the government will match 75%. So that can go on for four months. But that's optional with landlords? They're not forced to do it? They're not forced to do it. And a lot of these landlords don't want to do it because you have to show some paperwork. You have to show, you know, I guess, you got to show the government certain things. I'm not exactly sure why. And I know that some landlords are asking the restaurants for their books, their business plans and their books so they can go to the government, which is really not the landlord's business. <laughs> well, I mean, if the landlord signed a lease, I don't know, I guess the whole thing depends on whether or not they've got the money to pay. I mean, you know, that's like we've got, you and I have mutual friends in common who have small businesses in Toronto. I'm thinking of one person in particular and her non-restaurant businesses. Like, I wonder how she's getting on. I, I don't know, maybe she's in Mexico. <laughs> Um, no, she's in Toronto. I talked to her a couple of weeks ago and she was quite hot to trot about how everything was going, but, um, yeah, for her, it's going to, it's going to be tricky because she can't open up now. I mean, the whole thing seems to me like it's kind of a tricky situation. Yeah. And it, when that's, you know, unsustainable, um, you know, it's an artificial cause will be inflation due to this um not and inflation we've never seen before not to mention the inflation we will be seeing after this so this is going to be a small wave for us at least up here in canada um you know so something's got to give and these restaurant owners can stop using these apps um you know hire local drivers and maybe do some local paid ads that might be better positioned for them Okay, well, so like my neighborhood where I live is a bit of a different situation. So like we're, strangely enough to be almost in the middle of Phoenix, we are sort of, because of the way the neighborhood was built originally, we were like this big giant cul-de-sac up until literally maybe Four months ago? I don't know. I want to be like five years ago is what it seems like, but they just opened the freeway um, in December. Wow, December. Seems like it's been years. Holy Toledo. Um, so we've been in this cul-de-sac. There's not a lot of businesses here. For some reason, we seem to get businesses, restaurants that open up and close right down. And we have Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats. Those are your choices, unless you want some, what I consider to be crappy pizza, which would be like Papa John's or Pizza Hut or Domino's, which we don't eat that crap. And those are the only places that really deliver around here. So we don't have a solid base of restaurants doing their own delivery. And we don't have a solid base of restaurants from the other side, which is now almost as close to us because of the freeway opening. So we're in kind of a situation where it is strictly takeout across the board. And our favorite Indian restaurant, for instance, has always been a very takeout oriented place. 
Uh, I don't know why. It seems to me that most Thai restaurants, Indian restaurants, Chinese restaurants, at least in the West Coast of America, are almost all takeout places. Um, so they're not doing as badly as a lot of others. You know, like we, we try to patronize when we can. And, you know, the Indian guys are like, yeah, we're, we're off in our business, but we're not that bad. They, you know, they don't have their lunch buffet thing going. Um, and I don't believe that any of the newish restaurants that we have around our area can possibly afford to pay 30% commission to have shit delivered. I mean, I like, I literally, I do not believe that. So, you know, I would look at if I was a restaurant owner around here, I would be looking at something like our platform right. as more of a way, if they could get local delivery drivers, obviously they could do several things with our platform to. It's me. Oh, I'm like, is it me? No, right? my son. It's my son. Oh, okay. But you know, so anyway, I think that we probably. <laughs> Welcome to the new world order. Trying to record a podcast from two different countries while children are not going to school. Right. <laughs> All right. He's video chatting now, so he, he's fine. Okay. Um, you know, but it, it's okay. So here's the thing about it. Our platform has rewards. It has coupons. It has discounts. It has geo. It has all kinds of things. If you're a restaurant owner and you're sick and tired of paying Uber Eats and DoorDash and you think that you want to go back to hiring your own delivery drivers or if you haven't done that before and you want to have your own delivery drivers, talk to us, contact us. We will talk to you about tailoring a program for you because we certainly want you to stay in business. Yes, well said. We certainly do. We want to keep it within the community, keep it local, uh, create great food and grateful staff and customers will return to you directly next time with knowing that they're loyal to you. Yeah, and loyalty, discounts, yes. Yeah, exactly. So now, Kim, didn't I read that half the restaurants will remain closed during this in the U.S.? What's that going to look like? Probably at a minimum at this point, 50% of the restaurants that have closed their doors are not going to reopen. Yeah. Um, we, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, maybe one of the mobile reach episodes, about the fact that even if you are a restaurant owner who was lucky enough to get a substantial loan from the government under the payroll protection program, mm -hmm. you have two choices. You can use that loan to pay people who aren't coming to work, in which case the government will forgive the loan and you don't have to pay it back. Or you can take that loan and you can not pay your employees and you can buy things like inventory that you need to actually run your business because you can't have a restaurant without food. You can't have a restaurant without cleaning supplies. You can't have a restaurant without paying your rent. So all of these things make for really hard choices. And, I, you know, it's the restaurant business is always tough. It's always a very difficult business. And I read, I want to say it was like 
three or four weeks ago, I read an article that said that there were at least 110,000 restaurants that were likely to close. And that was a month ago. Nationwide. Nationwide, 110,000 restaurants that will not open up. Yeah, it's, it's closed down for good. You know, no, we really don't know how things are going to happen, how we're going to emerge from this. No one knows, really. Well, we do know for a fact that the economy probably across the world is going to fall before it rises. Doesn't matter if you're in Canada or Australia or China or the United States. Um, yeah. You know, everything is so interconnected, which, you know, I think it's a good thing. I think we should be connected with a diverse group of people. I think in the same way that during you know the housing crisis or world wars or other things that have happened that completely transform the way that things are done we're, we're just gonna see what happens but you know i understand that uber eats is a company grubhub doordash they don't do the dishes whatever that one's called and these people are in business to make money and these people have employees just like everybody else does but if you drive all of the restaurants out of business because you won't be flexible or you force the restaurants to make it so expensive for the consumers to use you as a delivery mechanism, I just don't see how it's going to be a thing that can be maintained. You know, I mean, the small restaurants, small businesses in America, Em companies with 50 fewer 50 or fewer employees employ more than half of the american workforce R right and if we can't save small businesses then we're gonna have no businesses i mean it's just it makes my head hurt it's yes. not just that thing that fell on my face earlier <laughs> no i see i can see the throbbing above your eye oh yeah and this between my temples throbbing and my nose throbbing where it got hit with the box it fell off the closet yeah I, mean, it's just, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. We will. And with that, we're going to end this today. Thanks, Kim. It is great seeing you. You know, it's so crazy. I was just in Toronto with you literally the end of January. Yeah, I mean. It is just now the end of April. That's really only three months. And it seemed like forever. Yeah, I mean, we occasionally go three or four months in between visits. Like, seriously, if I, I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen you in, like, three months in person. And then we see each other for, like, a week. And that happens, like, every two or three or four months. But this time, I swear to God, it feels like I haven't seen you in, like, ten years. Right. It's true. I mean, Zoom is okay, but... Uh, seriously, I mean, I like would like to be sitting down at a restaurant breaking bread with you, having a glass of wine, whatever, you know? That would be fabulous. I cannot wait till the day we can do that again. Soon. As soon as we're free to go, I'll be the first one on the plane. You know that. Yeah, I do. I would go now, except there's nowhere to go. <laughs> so anyway, let me just wrap up by reiterating the fact that if you have a restaurant or any other kind of a business that is trying to stay open and you are looking to shift some of your marketing and advertising to a more mobile centric hands-off distance marketing type of situation talk to us uh, you can use info at domino research to send us an email that's info at domino 
or you can go to mobilewalletmarketer.com and you can fill out the contact form that is on practically every page of that site and we will happily get back to you and help you figure out how you can effectively, efficiently, and relatively inexpensively get up and running with a mobile ad platform that can do a ton of stuff for you and your business and your customers. Absolutely, I can. Very well said. Okay, thank you. Until next time. Awesome. See you later.